Hello and welcome to on the podcast of the odd couple this is Siddharth here and I'm Dr Shish so today with us we have Siddharth Satyaseelan also known as Kutten joining us on this podcast he has been working with AP Mola Musk a Danish company and the largest shipping company in the world he joined them right after school through their scholarship program and joined their fleet as an officer and rose up the ranks once he was done with the sailing part of his career he took up a show based role in the same company to start up a 24/7 operations team which he's currently heading Welcome to the Odd Couple podcast Siddharth and maybe call you Kutten your through your pet name to avoid the confusion between my name and for for our listeners. Thanks guys. Thanks Jetta. Thanks Dr. Shish. Nice to talk to you guys and I'm very honored to be here on your show. Thanks a lot Kutten. So as you know that on 23rd March one of the largest container ships uh, ever given owned by the company Evergreen ran aground in the Suez Canal and creating one of the largest traffic jams on either sides of the canal or the channel so we have today with us Kutten to throw some light on what are the repercussions and as we recorded the stern has been partially refloated and hopefully soon it will be cleared but there's hundreds of ships on either side of the channel which has led to this uh this temporary confusion and a traffic jam so Kutten what do you think that led to this particular incident so this uh, ever given vessel uh, it's uh, one of the largest uh, container vessels in the world so they come under the category of these 20000 tu vessels container vessels ultra large container vessels and uh, these are about 400 meters long right so it's almost like four football fields it's extremely long it's extremely big so primary facy what uh, what we know is that the vessel was of course they were going in the convoy coming from the south uh, so the suez canal uh, let me let me give you a brief on the suez canal itself uh, so that will give you a little more perspective sure so uh, the suez canal is it's a, it's about 193 uh, kilometer long uh, passage it's a man made passage and which connects the mediterranean sea and the red sea and it is this is something which is completely owned by the egyptian government it is and run by the suez canal authority which is again a uh, part of the egyptian government so they are in total control of this uh, canal so what happens is uh, when the vessels coming from the south when i say south the vessels coming from asia they wait at the port uh, suez side which is on the south side of uh, this canal and uh, they start a convoy so every day there is one uh, northbound convoy and two southbound convoys that's how it works in the in the, in the, oh, in the wow. canal yeah so what happens is uh, all these ships they anchor themselves down there on the south and the north side both sides actually uh, and then they given a number and they given a time when to pick up anchor and then leave start the convoy so one by one each uh, each vessel they get their turn and then they pick up the anchor and they start going through the canal so this of course this is an ultra large uh, vlcc so they are all these vessels are given preference i'm not sure what number he was in the convoy but yeah uh, but anyway that is not so important also here so the incident happened around 8 around 8 ish in the morning so basically he must have they would have got into the canal and it is he would not have not even have gone too far into the canal but just for my understanding cotton like um, you were saying that the canal is a certain uh, length of i think what would you say 100 kilometers it's about 193 kilometers long but how wide is it i mean is it because you said you you have which are two northbound and one southbound uh, is it like a two way street that they come across no. but this no. ship i guess is so huge that you know it's going to take up the whole so how wide is the suez also for you know this type of traffic to go through yeah so i it's about uh, 200 odd uh, meters wide 200 205 meters odd wide so this ship is almost like double the of the breadth of the canal so you can imagine 
so what happens is the northbound vessels they go in first and then there is a big lake in the middle of the canal oh yeah so these buggers they go and drop anchor once again there okay 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 my mistake my mistake actually sorry the northbound vessels they don't drop anchor they go through it's the southbound vessels that is coming from the mediterranean sea coming into the red sea right going towards asia so they start earlier and they come and drop anchor in the in this in this lake to allow the northbound vessels to pass once their entire convoy is passed then these guys pick up anchor and then they proceed on the way south that's how it works oh. Oh, so that's how they save time also. So it's not like you're waiting one by one to go across. You've got guys coming in from there. They meet somewhere partway in the center. Then preference is given for the northbound heading towards Europe. And these guys cross and then they come back. Okay, wow, wow, wow. So roughly how many ships travel the Suez in a day? So in 2020, it was actually a good year. Huh? Uh, we are looking at at least 52 vessels per day. It was close to 18,800 transits in the entire year of 2020. Wow. So that's working out to just just under 52 vessels per day. So it's quite a bit. So how long does it take for you to transit from one end to the other end? On general, like an average ship, maybe not this one, but... Uh, yeah, 16 to 17 hours. Oh, okay. Yeah, so what happens is you, you uh, at least like... If I'm talking for a guy from the southbound uh, convoy, right? He uh, he pick oh, sorry the northbound convoy. He's who's going north into the Mediterranean Sea. So he picks up uh, anchor um, around you know six five six in the morning, and then you're out probably around uh, four five in the evening, depending on what number you're on the convoy. If you're the last, then of course you are delayed further up, right? You, you probably leave get out of the canal by seven or eight in the evening. So that's how it works. It includes all kinds of vessels. It's not just container vessels. You have tankers, you have bulk carriers, all this particular uh, waterway is extremely uh, crucial to global trade. 12% of the world's global trade passes through this uh, canal. So every day, this uh, vessel is stuck there. It's almost like uh, $10 billion worth of cargo, which is which is uh, halted. I think there are three places which are really like, uh, they call choke points in uh, seafaring, which is one is Singapore, which is the worst, and then Panama. And then I think uh, the Suez Canal is yeah. the uh, the other point. Singapore is basically just a, it's a straight, right? Uh, there are no uh, restrictions like you have to stop and all those things. The thing with Panama and Suez is that, I mean, it is, you have a lot of restrictions. You just cannot go through. You have to, there are rules to follow and all that. Like Panama Canal, you are, you, you go into certain lock gates and then the yeah. water's filled up and you're pulled by trains. That's how it works. That's because the water levels are different from one side to the other side. So they need to put you in a lock and then... Uh, Exactly. to the other side yeah. yeah but suez doesn't have that they they both the red sea and the mediterranean sea are pretty much on the same level that they yeah they don't have that lock system there there's no problem with the water level there it's only the problem of uh, you know width so only one vessel can pass at at one time so the northbound convoy passes through the southbound convoy they wait at the anchorage then once the last vessel passes through then these guys pick up and then they come south to join the Red Sea. So 15, 16 hours, you can imagine at least it goes doing this. But that beats the whole transit around the Cape of Good Hope, so, which takes, I think, approximately uh, three weeks. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, it can take, right? So if you're on a container ship, of course, we can go very fast. It would take maybe eight, eight to 10 days, yes. Oh, I thought it, it's a much slower process if you've got a container ship carrying so much of weight. No, no. When I say faster, I'm talking in relation to a in relative to a maybe a tanker vessel or something. Those vessels are very slow, right? Oh, not a not a jet ski or not like a speeding boat or a yacht. <laughs> okay, okay. I thought like okay, compared to a yacht, you guys are like okay, okay, makes sense. Yeah, but actually, some of these vessels, these even these big vessels, we are capable of going at almost you know. Uh, I mean, it's 25, 25, 26 knots. What's a knot? Huh? What's a knot in in land terms? How fast is a knot to a kilometer per hour? So it works out to, you know, it's almost about 1.8 kilometers. 
Oh, one knot is around 1.8 kilometers. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like a mile. Okay. So if you say 25 knots, close to around 20 kilometers, you can say. I'm surprised the Americans haven't come changed it over to miles for you guys. You know, by now. <laughs> <laughs> if it was just. <laughs> it's logical, yeah. yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, it's a standard term for us, right? So when we measure distance, we just measure speed. It's done in knots because you have people from different parts of the world. You know. coming to the us and uh, but that that language has to be the same because there's a lot of communication which happens over the over the uh, radios and all those things so if you speak something else then it would come across as something else to somebody who is correct, who correct. probably doesn't know that yeah so coming back to the whole ever given blocking uh, the suez and as you said i mean 10 billion dollars worth of goods are stuck per day and i also read some figure where uh, there's a loss of about 400 million dollars to the egyptian government as as a fees i mean if i have a boat and i need to go through the suez what is the toll that i pay to go through it so again that varies right it varies on you know the size of the vessel it varies on the type of the vessel no what kind of right. now if i'm talking about a container ship this is the largest ever i mean not i wouldn't say ever because these ships are quite quite we have quite a few of them in mars given we have the same size of vessels so uh, these vessels would easily cost between you know uh, a fully laden ship like this one uh, the ever given uh, would cost easily between 700 to 800000 maybe even up to a million dollars uh, what are you saying for one transit yeah really my god i wouldn't but i guess that. it's cheaper than uh, going taking the 5000 km detour via the cape of good hope extra days i guess it's a it's it's basic excel sheet calculation of profits and yeah stuff. it's a tra- it's a trade off which obviously suez canal wins right because you're you're almost halving the distance for example right now we have already diverted a bunch of our vessels because we couldn't wait so even musk we have diverted a bunch of our vessels to go south of good hope now the problem of, for this is of course the customers are uh, you know they they're going to be they're going to be the guys bearing the brunt of it because it, the cargo is going to reach them you know maybe 3 weeks or you know 2 to 3 weeks later so there's a compounding effect right now uh, so the latest information also by the way i got was that the ever given has been refloated they have managed to get the vessel out and they have brought it to this lake which i was telling you about oh they managed to uh, to nudge it off both the stern and the uh, the uh... yes and the bow and the front side yes oh wow okay i thought only one side was pulled pulled out now the the back side was already out the you know the front side which was you know was really wedged in mm-hmm. and that was that was a challenge they couldn't get it out so today was the spring tide you know the high tide there and yeah. so they had to make best use of this time and i think they used all their manpower and all the tugboats and we got experts from all over the world who have come in to uh, help the situation uh. because right now all the the global focus is on suez canal and on this vessel so they need to get it as soon as possible they need to get this vessel out so i think yes they have pulled the vessel out they managed to uh, tow it out there was a lot of speculation on you know how they going to do it i mean initially they thought they were going to pull it out in 24 hours to 72 hours but then they found out um, that you know it's not going to be such an easy task because it was quite wedged in like you said but the other point which somebody was making i think on news which i heard was the bow was wedged in and the stern was also wedged in and, and what was happening because of that is um, you have a lot of load which then falls into the center so then there's the fear of the whole uh, hull cracking under the pressure of the weight and i think there's a lot of signs how you guys actually stack your containers up on that yes. uh, ship yeah yeah so if you could take us through a little bit of what that real difficulty was and what their concerns was instead of just going in and shoving it and pushing it i mean it could have become more of a disaster right or, or even un- loading it yeah right? exactly yeah 
so that was one of the one of the options they had thought about also because they had to bring some of, some of the world's largest cranes also portable cranes because they will need to because the suez canal does not have any rails or they had they don't have anything where you can where there are cranes waiting for you if such a situation happens so this will this crane will have to come on a tugboat or a, you know a supply vessel or something and then they will have to and and it is going to take a, it's going to be a challenge for such a huge crane to come into the suez but canal but even those cranes i think are equipped for smaller boats not this one which is i think these are 9 stacked or 20 stacked or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah yeah these are maybe 9 even probably even 11 stacked i'm, I'm yeah. not sure how how much this was stacked at but they would remove some of the cargo from the front of the vessel so that's generally you know it, it tapers down so generally the front side okay they will, it might be a little easier to get the get the cargo out so that was one of the options which was also being uh, thought over i mean but if that had happened then it would take a, you know it would take much longer for it to get better because they have to get the container out and then they have to place the container somewhere right you know it's a whole load of containers i mean because if you look at the suez canal on the side where the vessel has the bow is it's is just it's just sand it's the sinai peninsula on that side huh? it's just sand and uh, <laughs> there's nothing else there pretty much on this side is a little more green on the left side is a little more green so <laughs> it's okay but on the right side is there's hardly anything you will see some barracks here and there and all those things and then there are it's pretty much sand and some yeah. that's what it is so in 1967 during the arab wars with israel and egypt i remember reading that there was one of the longest ever jam or the closure of the suez canal for what eight years they closed the canal until 1975 they they closed the canal for those for i think from 1960 yeah, from 1967 right. uh, until this whole whole situation was uh, you know sorted out there there was a treaty which was i think it was called the constantinople treaty or something and long back and this was one of the mm. canals which was supposed to be used which could be used freely by all countries all nationalities irrespective of during war time or peace yeah and this was the one time that exception was made and uh, this the canal was closed but after that okay they also managed to make some improvement this they made the canal longer they were able to dredge further so you know deeper ships i mean uh, ships could go in yeah i mean the, the 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 suez i mean was never this big it was actually like some 36 feet wide when they first started it in, in the 1800s and and it's grown with all the dredging and you know the constant growth with the ships so yeah yeah it was also about the point where how the canal has it's because it is the biggest money churner let me put it that way for egypt this canal single handedly does that i mean egypt has gone through a lot of things to to retain this canal because you know they were the ones who helped build it but they lost it to the british you know and then uh, the whole colonization of egypt and then their fight to you know for independence and then reclaim this and then battling it in the un and then the un finally stepping in and sanctioning and saying you know what uh, it belongs to the egyptians yeah so they have you done your homework there <laughs> a little bit much <laughs> so they do have a lot in stake because they went bankrupt even making the the suez so yeah. you know this is the real money churner for them and they are losing big time you know every day it stays closed every day it stays closed yeah but i, I can also imagine how <laughs> ever given and that company ever green uh, they have a huge hefty bill which is uh, <laughs> they love to pay a lot of people so uh, while ever given and their company ever green figures out how to pay these upcoming bills we'll take a quick break You're listening to the Old Couple Podcast. Old Couple Podcast. A Pandemia Inc production. Are you ready? A friendly fireside chat with friends where no topic is beyond a healthy discussion punctuated with a laugh or two. Check it out. Tune in every fortnight on your favorite podcast network. And we are back. So Kutin, I think we 
kind of uh, signed out on a very interesting note of the liabilities on who. Because before I come to the whole insurance angle and the whole what is the liability of Evergreen, I believe that during any kind of passage, even if it is to a port, you have a pilot who comes on board who helps the ship to navigate and reach safely and reach you to the port or cross a canal or anything like that. So I believe a pilot should have boarded this ship and guided it. So wouldn't it be a pilot's problem and Egypt's problem and their liability? No. So the way it works, unfortunately, this is how it is works in the maritime uh, in the maritime field, right? By maritime law, the master is always liable. He's in command. And uh, anything which... Sorry. The, okay. <laughs> the master is the captain of the ship. All right. Okay. That still holds true, Ade, eh? that the captain goes down with yeah. the ship. <laughs> his, 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 his word is final, right? Even now, because ours is still very traditional, very hierarchical. The master's word is final and he is responsible for everything which happens to the ship. No matter who, whether the pilot is there or the pilot is not there, the ship is still... And anything which goes wrong will still fall under his... Uh, I mean, he will be he will be held responsible in a court of maritime law. That's how it's going to work. Wow. You guys have a separate law system, is it? Yeah. So there is a yeah yeah maritime law. That... So this is not fought in normal court court of law. This, this... I mean, it will be done in normal court of law, but of course the maritime rules that will you know that will be the one which is engaging this whole uh, okay okay whole thing. So uh, what happens is yes, you have pilots which uh, go on board your vessels in most ports. Some point, I mean, depending on the size of a ship, some place is exempted also. But in Suez, it's pretty much always there. And you have a, you have a pilot who boards both the sides, from the north side and the south side. And uh, he he yeah he is the guy who's generally sitting on a chair there, and he is telling the you know we have a helmsman, the guy who's driving the boat. In the in these canals and all that, it's always manual steering. You don't do a, we don't have an automatic uh, we don't do automatic steering. So basically, there's a guy standing at the steering wheel, and he's you know <laughs> the old-fashioned way you remember, like in Titanic and all that, right? So yeah, the same thing. Surprising. <laughs> That's how it works. That's how that's how it is. Uh, I thought by now we would have automated this thing, you know. No, because the thing is, it's so narrow, right? Things can go wrong very fast. Like what happened, the same this case I've ever given, right? Suppose the machine goes wrong and the autopilot fails, then uh, to take over, it still takes a few seconds, maybe, you know, you know, even 30 seconds is quite a long time in this kind of situation. Correct. So we always have it on uh, manual steering. So the pilot gives the helm orders steer this this course and all those things and the helmsman is supposed to you know, steer that but again he is by the rules he is still only under an advisory capacity the final say is still the master he can override the pilot if he thinks that the pilot is doing something wrong he's giving a wrong order or he's making some kind of a mistake but generally when the pilot comes on and he takes over does the captain actually stay on board or does he like move aside and say okay this guy's anyway got all the experience in most ports the reason why we have a pilot is because they know the local rules local regulations they're in contact with all the you know we have tugboats and different people they need to contact he knows the local waterways how to how to go through it which is the shallow which is the deep if you're moving exactly away. all those so uh, these guys are given the control in a way that yes they give the helm orders and all that but we have to us you know if if you're, if you're a master then you have to keep an eye and make sure that everything is going fine everything is uh, you know he's doing it properly and you have the right to override the the pilot also so uh, kutan as you mentioned that yes since the maritime law states that the master can override the pilot and ultimately, the liability falls on the owners of the ship or who has leased it or whatever it might be. So how much are these ships insured for? I guess the larger ships more. And would it ever cover 
all the cost which is actually piled up like in this case no I, it's going to be a very very expensive uh, litigation i can tell you that all those insurances are there but in this case it's a very it's a very different situation right because now i mean if it actually goes to a situation because now you're probably even liable for all of the other vessels who are not able to deliver their cargo damn so those owners those shippers all of them can you know claim here so it gets very very uh, very very funny in this case <laughs> so it's going to be quite interesting to see how this is going to pan out of course evergreen they have to pay they have to bear the brunt of this bill uh, and this litigation for sure is going to go on for many years with the suez canal authority and then for all the other people who are going to you know uh, lay their claims so my doubt here is is it evergreen which should bear the cost or would it be the owner which is the japanese company who owns the ship actually yeah so i'm not sure what how what the clauses are here for this because sometimes these vessels are chartered and there's a different type of chartering also okay so that it'll all come down to that and what the charter terms are but yes the owner of course he's going to be there is going to be a hefty bill for him that's for sure now we spoke about who's liable and everything and as you rightly mentioned there a lot of other these hundreds of ships which are stuck in the traffic jam delayed due to this and there might be a liability on their side also but i also presume there's going to be a huge traffic jam once it's opened at the ports there'll be like at the anchoring and everything there'll be a huge queue yeah and that there'll be further delays because of that how long before do you think it'll things will normalize considering the fact that it's been refloated so i think uh, once the thing is cleared i mean they will have to do i don't think they will let the vessels go through immediately although they will try to make it as soon as possible they'll have to do a kind of a sounding of the area where the vessel had actually uh, you know grounded because the sands underneath the, the the thing below has changed definitely right now you don't want the vessel behind to have the same situation where she goes right in the center and she grounds so they'll have to te- check all that test all that and once everything is fine then they give the go ahead for the vessels to pass but i think once this once now the vessel is out they will be uh, looking to move vessels as soon as possible so maybe in the next 2 3 days we'll expect to see vessels uh, going through the canal as normal but it is just that there is a huge pile up over 400 ships are already piling piled up and yeah today is the seventh day already right so it is going to be quite a backlog and it will be like a first come first serve basis so whichever guys are there first they get the chance to go through and so it just waits like that and at the ports too now the ports have been empty for a while because you haven't had these ships coming in that's the next problem right especially the vessels going into europe and all that and all these container vessels they we are on what is called a liner trade so we have the same all these vessels in different companies doesn't matter which company or it's pretty much standard ports because of the size of the vessel only there are only a certain limited amount of ports which you can go to be it musk be it evergreen be it msc be it cma cgm whichever it is so all these ports this vessel was supposed to go to rotterdam right yes and i, I know a whole bunch of other vessels which are uh, my own vessels which are bound for rotterdam so there is going to be heavy congestion there also and the logistics in europe right now because of the covid lockdowns become even worse hmm. so it is going to be a challenge to you know get all these containers out turn the vessel around get the next vessel in yeah it's going to be a problem and also the issue is back in asia we are now facing a container shortage there's a lot of volume there's a lot of uh, cargo which needs to be shipped out but there's no containers enough it's a industry issue here for container industry and why is that what is the reason for that is it just a lack of shortage of shipping or is it because of covid is it because of a la- sudden surge yeah it's just that the surge is so much the volume is so much after this especially after china opened up after last year's covid thing right the demand has been so much e-commerce has boomed quite a bit right so a lot of people are buying stuff also there's an issue with the us uh, us east coast or sorry west coast long beach and los angeles their ships are waiting for 4 5 days 
because they're not able to, they, they, there are some issues over the logistic logistical issues over there as well so all this is actually delaying it and then the containers empty containers are not being able to come back in time shippers are ready people are waiting exporters are waiting to put their uh, you know their merchandise into the containers and send it but it's just not enough we actually have to to refuse clients simply because there are no containers enough and this situation yeah is expected to be like this at least for the for at least for some time until this yeah, situation you know it gets better over time yeah and that, that's crazy because considering the fact that i guess 70 to 90% of the world's trade happens through ships right and yep. and we'll think oh there's aeroplanes and stuff like that why don't we send it through them but the sheer volume that a ship can carry uh i guess that's what would be and this is going to have a cascading effect on oil prices on electronic goods and anything that is uh, transported everything because a lot of crude oil and other petroleum products are tra- traded through the suez canal right you know from the middle east you have a lot of uh, oil which is coming through and that has to go to europe you could see it actually on the first day itself the global oil prices they already spiked correct and it was simply because i mean it, it that that's the way it, i mean oil industry works it is very volatile right? it keeps jumping up and down and this was basically expectation of how, how long this is going to happen and then let me say the silver lining is whole situation right now is the demand in europe is slightly lesser than normal because of the covid lockdowns hmm. otherwise this few this oil i mean the the oil prices would have really skyrocketed by now because the ships are not able to get through the canal to reach the other side to europe so there was a time actually if you remember um, even back in india i think it was over 10 years back there was fuel shortage in chennai i remember this because i used to see it in the papers and then people are fighting in the petrol bunks and all that to get that one liter of petrol True. and finally two huge super tankers had to come i don't know what the reason was at that point why there was so much delay but finally after they came only there was some respite from this whole uh, situation so you can just imagine i mean just it's the whole continent of europe which is going to be affected because of this so because of all that there is going to be numbers are going to spike uh, but again it won't be for long term i think this it will it will come back now that this vessel has been uh, has been refloated uh, it should start coming back to normal soon but you know another thing which i wanted to know was was there any worry you know with a lot of these ships now backing up and uh, you know waiting at the end of the red sea was there always that worry of the somalian uh, pirates and things which we hear of so thankfully in the red sea there not so much of pirate activity uh, it's more towards the horn of africa uh, somalia oh so as they go down towards yeah, the yeah. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. okay 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 so i mean if <laughs> yeah they could have used the opportunity i mean if i mean they're all just sitting duck over there yeah. right <laughs> <laughs> they can try their luck also <laughs> so to all our somali listeners <laughs> 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 but i'm sure you guys are much more prepared nowadays like i have seen like you know like a lot more guns and people carry more guns and stuff like that do you guys carry guns what no no no, no. Uh, we don't we don't we're not allowed to carry guns so what happens is some yeah, yeah so some companies they have armed guards on board so they join the ship for that part where they pass through, through this area and then they disembark them so that is a common practice which is being done i mean most vessels these container ships generally are it's not that easy to board simply because of their speed and their height and all that i mean most alabama was a <laughs> different case but right. uh, <laughs> apart from that it's it's not that easy but you have all these big tanker vessels and you know bulk carriers carrying ore and coal so they are very low in the water because they are so heavily laden they're quite low in the water and they're very slow so it's very easy for these guys to you know uh, on a speedboat they can just come put on those grappling hooks and just uh, climb on 
it's not that hard but there are regulations again there are the world's navies are there you have uh, a lot of patrol boats and uh, different countries all the navies are 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 there in that area just to make sure that everything is going properly but the area itself is so vast right uh, an attack can happen but i'm sure you guys follow certain pathways and yeah yeah so do you come across all these naval ships and everything do you need to identify yourself etc yes so we yeah we, there is a procedure when vessels have to we have to send them some information and all those things so they know that which vessels are there and so even in the horn of africa in the gulf of aden area there is a convoy process so oh, okay. at least the smaller vessels and all those ones which can't go that fast they can they employ these uh, so the arm guards take them in a convoy Mm-hmm. and they 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 go through so but it, i mean the gulf of aden is little large so it's not so much of an issue it's not restricted like a water canal like a suez canal so good another question which i wanted to ask you was this accident waiting to happen because uh, with all the cost cutting which is going on today like most of these companies are being run by big mba fraternities and you know they're all their whole job is just to cut the cost down so your ships have got bigger the amount of load they're carrying is far greater and your crews are starting to get smaller right so is it that you guys are really just getting better at micromanaging stuff or is it purely a cost cutting factor yeah the good question uh, because i mean i i am in that business itself right so yes i know what you what you're talking about but if you think about it these size of vessels have been there for a while these ultra large uh, container vessels and these tank all these big vessels have been there for a while and i think the largest vessel which had run aground was uh, it was like a 13000 tu vessel it was much smaller and that was also i think removed within within a few days and we had one of our own also one of the musk vessels which had run aground in the suez it was all done in a few days this one was a little special simply for the fact that i mean again we don't know the full details of some say it is because of the sandstorm and the winds and all those things now there is speculation that there was also some of the failure which has also led to the situation or it could be a combination of both right so i mean that's how it is it is going to get bigger and because bigger. most people are asking that question because if there was a sandstorm and there was poor visibility why did they let the ship go in so that's where the whole now the thing comes in of speculation or did was there something wrong with the ship that you know so that's the whole uh, question like you know yeah 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 because generally i mean the pilot would also give information and what happens is generally in a sandstorm you are uh, i mean they don't let you go in anyway and if it happens when you're in the convoy or something then you're your mood to the side of the thing your the whole convoy stops in your mood because simply because you can't see maybe this happened so fast i mean the, the storm or the dust storm or the winds picked up so fast and it happened and uh, i could see the I, i saw the track of the vessel it didn't take too long before this whole thing you know went sideways and the crew which we have they they seasoned crew right they're not like some yeah, amateur yeah, crew yeah. and apparently all indians yeah they all uh, but most of our, i think the uh, merchant navy thing a majority are indians is that true yes. not necessarily i mean if you see in the shipping uh, fraternities or I mean, in the elite the seafarers is philippines is the biggest uh, seafaring country of course we have a, a big, big amount but then it's not it's not compared to philippines i mean there almost every second person is a sailor in <laughs> philippines but uh, as indians yes we are very seasoned and this i mean i have seen some stories where they have specifically mentioned that you know the entire crew was indian and all that and that could have been. but it's got nothing to do with that in this situation if it if it happened like this and it it could have happened to anybody Absolutely. doesn't matter Absolutely. who the yeah 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 
so uh, i mean the training and all that is as per what is required right it's a it's a it's a worldwide it's the same uh, competence you require and only then you once you pass all those exams and once you get those competences only then you can actually even work on a vessel uh, forget about taking command so it's got nothing to do with that <laughs> it's just sheer bad luck i guess i guess <laughs> let me put it that way so on that note we'll just take a quick break and we'll be right back You're listening to the Old Couple Podcast. Old Couple Podcast, a Pandemia Inc. production. Are you ready? A friendly fireside chat with friends, where no topic is beyond a healthy discussion, punctuated with a laugh or two. Check it out! Tune in every fortnight on your favorite podcast network. And we are back. So, Kutin, now you've been sailing more than a decade, uh, if not more. I don't know exactly how long you've been sailing, sailing, and. i'm sure you would have traversed the suez canal and and other canals across the world any interesting stories that come to mind that you can share with us yeah, <laughs> yeah the suez canal itself is uh, there i mean quite a bit of stories right i think uh, in a year i used to go through the canal at least 5 uh, to 6 times wow on the on the similar type of vessels like what like they ever given maybe slightly smaller but yeah similar types at least so it's it's called the malboro canal right i mean at least in the among us among us seafarers okay. because simply because of the amount of malboro we got to give to different people like you know <laughs> oh it happens in cigarettes so the, apart from the 700000 dollars that you pay as toll you need to make extra <laughs> payments in terms of malboro only the cigarettes. smoke gets you through yeah so they're all there's no they all this gold flake and camera doesn't work there it's only malboro <laughs> so i mean musk we have stopped this whole thing process but you know there are companies we still give this uh, as to the pilots to the people who come on board uh, that's another story right because you have every time you go on for the suez canal passage you have a what you call a mooring boat who's supposed to be a part of your they we are supposed to pick them up and it's a lot it comes along with the vessel and it's is simply for this factor when in case you have a sandstorm or something then these guys are lowered down and they are supposed to use our mooring ropes and tie tie the ship to the side that's the reason why these guys are there they absolutely they do nothing they they just come they have a good time for the whole day and uh, of course they start they have something like a they make something like a shop on board oh they sell all these small small you know egyptian stuff and you know all stuff what they've got from other ships also they sell it back to us <laughs> <laughs> all that also have <laughs> so it's like a flea market uh, <laughs> oh that's interesting uh, like, yeah because funny because they keep telling hey my friend i give you good price you're my good friend i give you good price <laughs> i look at it in the same gloves which i have on board as well <laughs> they take from some other ship <laughs> You probably would have given it, given it to him last time, and he's selling it back to you this time. <laughs> <laughs> Could be, yeah. And of course, they have all these uh, Egyptian uh, some trinkets and this uh, Aladdin's lamp and all that stuff, right? <laughs> all that stuff nice. they sell. They, you know, people buy it. Yeah, some of these guys buy it. It's good fun also. Uh, so okay, I mean, usually when they go, also they're given like a you know a, a carton of cigarettes or you know a pack of cigarettes or something. We don't do it anymore, but there are a lot of companies which still that practice is still uh, <laughs> maintained. But that's I mean I don't think that's like a big uh, thing. After I... this incident, I think Evergreen has got to supply the entire Egypt. Huh? <laughs> 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 There's not going to be enough Malbros to get them across the canal next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's good. but I've heard uh, there are a lot of these. Um, 
I mean, little gray area, but there are certain countries where you go to to get. I heard you need to get certified, especially your cargo holds. When you're holding, it needs to get Ford grade certified. If you're every time you need to clean it, I presume, and somebody needs to come and certify it, and and you need slightly more than Marlboros to. Yeah, <laughs> I heard such stories. Yeah, true? yeah, all all these are all these are secrets. I can't reveal all that yet, but yes, it <laughs> <laughs> makes the difference. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. No, but uh, otherwise, uh, the Suez Canal Transit, it's actually, uh, I mean, it keeps us a little bit, I mean, a little alert. As this incident has shown, right, you got to be very alert at all times. And even in spite of all that, you can still, things can go wrong. And if it goes wrong, it goes very wrong. Especially with the size of, the size of vessels we are uh, we're going through with. So, uh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I mean, I, I, I personally, I used to like the passage. It was a, it's, it's nice to just watch outside and you know look around also and to see how it's how things are developing. But I can tell you, nothing had developed in the time I had sailed there. It was still the same every year I passed through. <laughs> so as I said earlier, you've been sailing for a bit, and how did you choose to get into this career? Point number one: How was your experience sailing? Good, the bad, and as well as why did you choose to stop sailing and then? take a show job <laughs> so basically uh, after the 12th right i i mean we were, as usual all of us are contemplating on what to do next and all that stuff and then one of my family friends he had he was not from not from michaels uh, but he was two years senior to senior to me he had got into this uh, into this into merchant navy and he was raving about it about the life and all those things I was like, oh, okay, it sounds good and all that. And luckily for me, that particular year, uh, AP Mola Merce, that was the first time they were coming to India to recruit cadets. There was a scholarship program they were having and they were, they were recruiting us, people from India. It was just, uh, at that point, it was, yeah, let's let's try this and see what it is all about. And then I remember going to this this uh, institute, it's in Chennai, it's the biggest maritime institute in in the south, AMET. There was a whole bunch of tests and all that, uh, interviews and all that at that point, and then we managed to get through all of it. And we were 37 of us who were selected. Once you got in, did, did it live up to the expectation of what your senior built it up for you? Or were you, once you reached there, you were just cursing him like, this is what you were talking about? No, no. I, I, because it's hours and hours <laughs> of, of you're, you're, you're on the sea for six, for six months, right? And then you come back in. Yeah. So as a cadet, it was a little longer, right? Uh, as a cadet, yes, six months, even on an eight-month stint and all that. And the eight-month stint was on a super tanker, one of these big tanker vessels carrying fuel, right? And I was there for eight months, and those eight months I had never stepped ashore. Also, that was quite bad. But the environment on a, one of these on these tanker vessels is much better because everybody is in. We could be become kind of a family, right? So it's only it's only you, you know, 25 guys or whatever. Uh, and uh, yes, so there's usually a lot of parties and a lot of games. And that time, you know, even booze was there, so it was, and long sailing also. So there was a long time at sea where you could have. Uh, it, it was pretty okay. So now you mean that there's no booze on on the ships now? You can't drink now? Yes, at least uh, at least in my company, it's completely stopped. We have a zero alcohol policy. What? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been many years now. It's been almost. 15 years so like do you guys get a saturday sunday off while you're sailing sailing no no no, absolutely not (laughs) there's no there's no holiday for six months you just every day's work every day's work so you have your uh, your, my contracts are for two and a half maximum three months when i was an officer right so that was fine i used to join somewhere in uh, in europe or something and by the time i come back to europe next time it's uh, it's time to go home so that was perfect Mm -hmm. two and a half to three months it was great uh, yeah, actually, I had to join sometimes in the Suez Canal also. And that was a whole story by itself. Do tell us. 
so you put up in cairo uh, in, in, in a, that's a good hotel and all that and then from there you're taken in uh, all these dusty roads up to this uh, port side which is on the north side of uh, the suez canal uh, and yes after a point you realize it's it's crazy there right it's it's chaotic completely chaotic if you think here it's bad there it's 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 really i find that very surprising i thought india was quite chaotic on its own so i mean and after a point i mean there was no car also you had you had to drag your bag then you had to go through it and then you go on a boat and that because the ship does not stop on the way right the ship is moving and the boat comes alongside and you're supposed to jump onto one ladder and then climb up that's crazy what? that's how it works in the suez yeah it's still crazy there there have been situations where i've yeah almost lost balance and i fell into the water also oh shit it didn't happen thankfully but <laughs> it could have because it's i mean when the ship is moving it's moving a lot of water also and you're coming in a very small boat and that boat i mean keeping it steady there next to the ship is a is a bit of a challenge that's why you give them marlboros so they keep <laughs> the boat steady for you steady. if not you fall down <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so coming back to the point about the career thing right uh, so once i finished um, finished the studies and finished my cadetship then i joined as an officer in the in atp mola musk and then i continued up the ranks the reason why i quit you know was once my kid was born i did one sale and then i was uh, it was not the same so i was like okay i should look for something else now so at that point unfortunately i hadn't taken command also yet that was one regret i, I still have but then okay uh, got a, this is a decision you take and you live with it now looking back yes so i we started up this whole 24/7 setup in mumbai at that point and then we moved to singapore and now i'm back here you know heading the team and all that so in a way it's been good it's been a good ride uh, all this way and uh, the sailing itself was it was fantastic you go to all these uh, normal ports which are you know which everybody knows and then you go to a lot of ports which are non descript you don't even know about it how many countries have you sailed through I think the last count was i think close to 57 i think oh wow yeah my my kid was keeping a count and i think yes it was that <laughs> But what 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 about that old uh, saying that uh, you have girlfriends in every port? Is that true? And are you missing that? <laughs> I think my wife's probably going to hear this podcast. Also, I think. <laughs> so thank you so much, Siddharth, aka Kutan, for joining us on the Odd Couple podcast for a fun chat, especially on this uh, current topic of the Suez Canal thing. But thankfully, it's opened up, and we're looking for positive things. So. Keep tuning in on the Auto Couple podcast. Do check out our new website which is www.theoddcouple.in for all the latest news and you can reach out to us through the website. Uh so this is Sadatia signing off. Thank you so much Kutan. Thank you guys. Thank you for having me. See you. Bye bye. See you all on the other side until next time. This is Don Kashish. Bye bye.